What a beautiful day that God has given us today. And what a shock we had yesterday morning <laughs> when we woke up and found snow outside. I know little Molly was shocked. She thought it was all over with and so did I, and I'm sure you did too. The wonderful thing about spring is that no matter whether we get snow or cool weather, we know that that warm weather is coming. We know that the flowers are coming up, that the trees are, the leaves are coming out. We know that good things are happening, even though in this time of year, March, and then in early April, we think, you know, we can face some cold weather or, or dis- difficult weather. The, the hope is that, that spring is coming. It's got to come. And so that's very significant for where we are right now. It may be that you in your life are dealing with a snowy day or you're dealing with foul weather in your life or you're dealing with things that just seem overwhelming to you. But the promise of the Bible is that spring is coming, that, 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 that there is a hope coming, that there's a deliverance coming, that there is something that we have to look forward to. And we talked about that last Sunday on Easter, something that we have to look forward to that gives us a hope. And that hope is what helps us to go through the difficult times and is something to which we attach our faith. So I want to encourage you in that this morning. And she's welcome and so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, and so we're going to do several things before we get into God's Word. First of of all, um, we're going to pray. We've been part of those of you that, that may not <clears throat> have been tuned in for a while. Uh, a number of weeks ago, as a church, we joined an organization or movement called Unite 714. And that is simply this. That's an organization of pastors and churches literally from around the world, thousands of them, who have committed that every time they have a service, that they are going to pray this same prayer. It's a different prayer for each week, that they're going to come together and pray this same prayer, that they're going to encourage their people to do this throughout the week, especially at two times, 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 in the evening. And the significance of 7.14 is it's a reference to Second Chronicles 7.14, where Paul, where uh, God spoke to Solomon and told him that if my people would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and, and seek my face, I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. And that's the foundation for many other prayers that have gone forth for the church, but especially at this time. So we post this on our website. Uh, so if you want to go to the website, either now or you're watching by way of the website, you can go afterwards. And there's a link there where you can get, it says uh, Unite 714, you can get each of the prayers for each of the weeks. And so we're going to pray this together. And then we're going to pray some other things. And then I want to mention one other thing. So here's the scripture. It's based on three scriptures this morning. And then we're going to pray together. And what I'm asking you to do is you probably don't have this in front of you right now. And even if you do, we're going to do what's called the prayer of agreement. And that's one of the most important prayers where, where it, Jesus said, if two of you agree on anything in concerning this earth, it will be done for us in heaven. So we're going to come together and I'm going to ask you as I pray this to agree with me in prayer. And so uh, here's the scriptures, uh, Isaiah 54, 14 and 17. In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear and from terror. For, you, it, for it shall not come near you. No weapon, no weapon f- that is fashioned against you shall succeed. That's so important to keep saying that out loud. Psalm 91, 4 through 6. Under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear of the terror by night, nor of the hour that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction that wastes at noonday. And then finally, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Agree with me in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and ask that you, for you to sustain us by your mercy, your grace, and your power. We continue to trust in your gracious promise that no weapon fashioned against us will prosper. Against us, our families, our churches, it shall not succeed. We take refuge under your protective wings. Your faithfulness is our shield. By your great strength, protect our hearts, our minds from the grip of terror. Empower us, O God, so that, so that fear will not paralyze us or define our lives. Great multitudes are effect, affected by this appalling pandemic, and so we will lift them up before you in prayer. Heal those battling this disease. Comfort those who have lost loved ones, and we know, we know that you alone are our healer. As Second Chronicles 7.14 urges us, we identify with the sins of our nation and ask for your forgiveness. Have mercy on us. Spare us from this pestilence. Cleanse us from our sins. Heal our lands. With one heart and one voice, we stand together in unity, asking you, Almighty God, to protect our cities, our nations, and our world from COVID-19. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, we also come to you as you've admonished us in your word to do, to pray for those that are in leadership and authority. And especially in this time, they need your wisdom, your strength, and your guidance. And so we pray for our president, we pray for our vice president, and all of those that are leaders in our national government. We pray, but especially for our president, that you would strengthen him, that you would give him discernment and wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. We ask you to protect him because there are spiritual forces that would come against him to strike him and to deceive him and to pull him off track from what you would have him do. And we come against them in the name of Jesus. We pray for Governor Raimondo and for Governor Baker. Those are the governors that affect, especially affect the lives of people in this body. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen them and keep them safe and their families. We pray for strength in their body, strength in their soul, strength in their mind, and strength in their heart. We pray for discernment, Father, as they make decisions that affect the lives of many people. Father, we pray for your, your, your supernatural wisdom. Because they're standing in offices that you've ordained, you're responsible for giving them the wisdom that are needed to carry that out. We thank you that you have placed people in their lives that, that are men and women of God that, are, that hear your voice and that are anointed by your spirit and you've strategic, strategically placed them there to guide and to help them. We thank you for them and ask you to keep them safe and give them wisdom and guidance. We pray, Father, for all of those that are on the front line dealing with people that are suffering from this, this affliction, this disease. Father, we pray that you would keep them safe and their families. We pray that you would give them strength and wisdom to treat these people. We do pray for those. There are some even in our church, Lord, that have lost loved ones. We pray that you would comfort them. And we pray for those that are suffering from this right now, Father, that you would bring healing into their lives. Jesus bore their sicknesses and carried their diseases. And whether they know that or not or believe that or not, we claim that for them. 
And we stand to you, stand with you, Father, against this foul disease. And we command it in the name of Jesus to stop. Jesus spoke to storms and they obeyed him. We speak to this this disease. We speak to this virus. We speak to this thing and command it to stop in the name of Jesus. We pray for pastors, Father, in this area especially, that you would continue to protect them because they are the shepherds and when the shepherd stric- is, if the shepherd is stricken, the sheep scatter. So we pray that you would keep them strong and well, that you would continue to give them wisdom and grace and understanding to lead the people that you've entrusted to them. And finally, Father, and most importantly, we pray that in this time of great crisis, as your spirit begins to rise up so that your will will be done, that whatever you ordain to do in this time to take advantage of this opportunity, opportunity. We pray, Father, for your spirit to pour forth and to accomplish your will, that your kingdom come and that your will will be done in the church, for the church, and through the church in this time and hour. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. Um, You may wonder uh, where Pastor Ray is today. Uh, about a week ago, or he discovered just a couple of days ago that about a week ago, he had a very brief uh, exposure to somebody that has tested positive for this. And that was over a week ago. I checked with him this morning. He's feeling fine. His family's feeling fine. But I felt as an, as a, as an act of caution to have him self-quarantined for the rest of those 14 days. So he'll be back with us next Sunday. So that's where he is. He's doing well. He sends his love and blessings to you. So let's get into God's Word. Let's prepare to get into God's Word. I believe that God has a timely word for us today. You know, as we go through any... We should do this anyway. And hopefully you, you've already been doing this if you've been a Christian for very long. But uh, some of us sometimes go through periods where we get lax, we get distracted. Uh, the issues of life begin to bear in us and we, we just kind of put the Word aside and say, well, I know I need to read my Bible. I know I need to pray. I know I, know I need to do those things and I'll get to them. But these other pressures, and, and Jesus talks about those. He says, the cares of this world, uh, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things begin to bear in us and it steals the word from us. And what we need to understand is the very thing that God has given to us to strengthen us and to equip us, to heal us, to provide for us. Everything that God has provided for you and wants to do for you and we're going to talk this morning about the fact that there's no limits to that. But everything God wants to do for you He does through His word. You receiving His word, you taking His word into you and then beginning to speak that word out. So in the parable of the sower, Jesus points out that Satan comes immediately to try to steal the word. He did that in the garden. I was just meditating on that this morning. God's in in Genesis chapter 3, the way Satan comes to steal that man and woman from, from God was to get them to question God's word, has God said. And he uses the same technique today. If it's not to get you to question God's word, it's, get, it's to get you and me to, to not realize how vital that word is for our lives. So I want to encourage you today to get into your Bible, read your Bible, not just read it, meditate on it. As you, are, as you eat food every day so that you'll be strong and so your appetite is satisfied, you need to take this word into you and, and God's Spirit in you will guide you as to what to turn to. And just begin to read it and let God speak to you from this word. Because the strength that I'm having to go through this time and to lead this group, this fellowship through this time is simply coming from the word of God that I have been ingesting and continue to ingest. I ingest it, I take that word into me, meditate on it so that I can 
bring it back to you when I come before you on, on Sundays. Also, one thing I did forget to mention, what we've decide, I've decided to do is to take our every Wednesday night, at least for a for foreseeable future, and use that as a prayer night. We do that the first Wednesday of the month, but every Wednesday right now, because prayer is so critical and so important. And I would encourage you to gather together with your family and begin to pray for the things that are of concern to you. You need to begin to pray. It's the Word of God and prayer that will, that will bring us through this. And it's not just bring us through this. God's goal for the church in this crisis is not just that we survive. Because if we just survive, then Satan's won. Because there's a purpose, there's a mission that God has for the church in this hour. For this, this time, God has ordained for us to be here, and you to be here at exactly this time. And God wants to use you personally. He wants to use us as a church together. And in order to do that, our goal cannot be just to survive, but to overcome Jesus said when He's coming back, this is in the book of Revelation, to the seven different churches in in the book of Revelation. Each one of them says, to him who overcomes, and then there's a promise. So there must be something to overcome. Well, we have things to overcome in this day and hour. So God has put us here as a church to overcome so that through the victory of our overcoming, God can use that as a witness and can use that as a testimony to influence the lives of many people out there who are open right now, who don't know Christ, who don't know God, who have not turned to Him because they don't know who He is. And through you and me, He wants to be a witness to them, to draw them into the kingdom of God. I'm believing that we are at a time when there's going to be an enormous outpouring of the Spirit so that there will be a great mighty harvest before the end comes, and that's not long from now. So this is urgent, this is important, and I hope you realize the importance of this time. So let's pray as we get into God's Word. Father, we thank You for the things that You've already done. We thank You, Father, that at this time and hour, You have seen to place each one of us here, where none of us are here by accident at this time. And Father, because you placed us here, you will be faithful and you are faithful to give us everything we need to strengthen us and to protect us so that we can do what you put us here to do. Help that path to be clear to each one of us in our personal lives, in our families, as well as together as a body of believers here at Faith Christian Center. And now as we turn our attention to the Word, Father, we thank you, we put our trust in you. The two things you've given to your church is the Word and your Spirit. And so the Word of God we're going to declare today, the Word that I have put in my heart and meditated on, I'm trusting you to bring it forth by the Spirit of God. And my prayer today, Father, is that everything I say will be your heart and your words under your anointing, because my ideas and my words can do nothing. But it's your words, it's it's your principles, it's what you have to say to us today that are spirit and life. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we've been looking for the last few weeks. Last week we took a break because we had a a special message for for, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And we've been looking at um, who this God is that we serve. And and I've got a question for you that I want to ask you uh, as I begin to pull my notes up. And that's this. And I want you to just think about this, because in the time you and I are in, I mean, when we're walking through quote-unquote normal times, and I know that, you know, you may have already been going through some storms in your life, 
But when you're going along with the normal issues of life, you know, we're aware of God and we believe in God. And, you know, most of you that come to church, you know, you believe in God. I'm sure you do. We know. But, but God's just kind of someone that's out there that, that we know we need to talk to. We know we need to read His Word. We know we need to do certain things. Uh, 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 and then as a result, we have an image of him, what he's like, which is why we've been talking for a number of weeks now about who is this God we serve, because what we found out is that, that you can't know who this God is or what he's like by your own intellectual searching. You can't go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and find you can find out uh, what they believe God who God is or what he is, but you can't know him. You can't know who he really is unless he reveals himself to us. And we've talked about that. But God has given us his word in order to reveal to us what he wants us to know about him. And so that's what we've been looking at. uh, And we began specifically to look at how God revealed himself to the nation of Israel after he brought them out of their 430 years of bondage in Egypt. And God had to reintroduce himself to his people because they had 430 years of living in a pagan society. And we walked through, through that process before, and I'm not, not going to go back over that. But here's my question. Who is God to you? What do you, what do you know of God, and, and how real is He to you? And so the question is this. And we'll, we'll, we'll bring this question up a little later. How big is your God? Not how big is God. How big is this God to you? And we're going to talk about that today, because in this time of crisis... Not when you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning and everybody's got their hands up and saying, praise the Lord, great is our God and greatly to be praised. Not, not then, but in a crisis. When everything you put your trust in looks like it's falling apart. When it looks like there's no answers out there. When you're, you open your newspaper or you turn on TV or you turn on your computer and you see the, the death toll mounting and projections being given out there. And, and things like one of the governors said, you know, it's a time if you've got things to say to your relatives, you better say it now. My goodness, the fear that that can engender. And, and we're being inundated with those things. It's at this time we find out how big we believe our God is, how big God is to me. So that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to look at it in a particular perspective. To do that, we're going to go back at something we talked about a few, uh, two weeks ago. And what we've already seen about this God, uh, what He reveals Himself uh, to the children of Israel, and it's, it's really revealed in the, in the first commandment that God gives in, in, uh, in Exodus uh, uh, 20, and then again in Deuteronomy. And, and God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, you shall have no other gods before me. And it's, the key is, I am the Lord. And that word Lord there is the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh, which means the self-existent one. And we spent a Sunday looking at what that means. And he says, I am the Lord, your God. And that is the word Elohim, which means a God. It can be a God uh, that you worship as an idol. And Israel did that for 400 years. They worshiped, they were part of a country, Egypt, that had over 2,000 of these gods, little statues or the moon. They worshiped something. And what that meant is they looked to that being or that thing as the source of their provision and their protection. And God's letting them know, I am the Lord. I am your God, the true and the living God. And then we looked at, last time, we looked at, this is a God that's a God of covenant. 
And God entered into a covenant with Abraham, and that was the forerunner of a covenant God has entered into man, with, with us through Christ Jesus. And so we've looked at that covenant, and, and the, the term, the beginning of that covenant was back in Genesis 15 when God introduced that covenant to Abraham. Well, now we're going to go to Genesis 17, because this is, this is now, uh, let's see, this is now 24 years later. And God comes to Abraham again to renew this covenant or to explain more what this covenant is and to get more specific about it. But there's something specific in what God reveals to Abraham here that I want to look at this morning, or we're going to look at this morning. It says this, When Abraham, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. And I'm going to stop, well, go on. No longer will your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. I don't have time to explain this. This is a very important significance to the change of name. And I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, and to your descendants after you. Two things I want to point out here. Back in verse 1, he says, the Lord said to him, I am all mighty God. So this is what we're going to look at today. The question is, how big is your God? Well, the God that was revealing Himself to Abram told him what he wanted Abram to know about Him. And it's that, I am almighty God. So my question is, how big is your God? Is your God almighty? He is, but how big is He to you. Almighty, the Hebrew word there is El Shaddai, which has a breadth of meaning. It literally means the many-breasted one, or the one who's... It actually, if you study it out, means the one who is more than enough to meet every need that you have. And that's what God is... That's the aspect of God that He's revealing to Abram, or Abraham at this time. So what that means, He's all-powerful. And that's hard for our minds to grasp. All powerful. He is absolute power. There is no weakness in Him. There is no deficiency in Him. There is nothing that is not possible to Him. And that's what I believe God, what God wants to get across to us today. That the God we serve, that God, for Him, there is nothing that is impossible for Him. Now, if, if I were to give a quiz to you and just send that out by email, or if we were here and I asked you this question, almost everybody read, yeah, I believe God, all things are possible to Him. But do we really believe that? Because the test of what we really believe is what happens and what we say and what we do in a crisis like this. So we're looking at the context in which God speaks this to Abram. And we're going to look at this in the context of Abram's problem. Because Abram is a problem here. God has told him 24 years earlier, or maybe it's 23 years earlier, excuse me. God has told him 23 years earlier, 
I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And back in Genesis 15, he says, I am going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram's answer to him is, well, wait a minute. Here's the little problem, God. You seem to have overlooked a little detail. Uh, Right now, I'm 75 years old, all right? And and that's significant to me because this year I turned 75, all right? And and he said, and my wife is 65. I'm not going to tell you how old my wife is. And, and he said, but not only that, my wife Sarah's been barren her whole life. She's never been able to produce a child. And you're talking to me about many nations coming from me? God, you seem to have overlooked a little, a little detail there. And then we saw two weeks ago, God took him out and he showed him the stars of the heaven and said, so are your descendants going to be. He's trying to expand Abram's vision. As if, and Abrams can't get over the fact that, wait a minute, that's great, great to have a vision, God, but it's got to start with at least one son, and we can't do that for three reasons. I'm too old, she's too old, and she's barren. So here's an impossible situation. So now God comes to him again, and God introduces himself. He said, all right, here's the, I am almighty, Abram. That's not a problem for me. I am almighty God. And we're going to look more at this than how it applies to Abram in, in a few minutes. And, and then the second thing we want to look at here is when a, God appears to Abram in Genesis 15, 23 years earlier, God says, I'm going to. But look what he says here. Uh, look what he says here. Um, Somewhere he says it. Okay. Well, I lost sight of it. Never mind. God says, as for me, we're going to see that in Romans 4. As for me, I have made you a father of many nations. God starts talking to Abram in the past tense as if it's something that's already done. And that's important for us to see as we go forward. So let's talk about who this God is. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Hall of of Fame of Faith, God, God says... This about, the Spirit of God says this about him. By faith we understand that, by, that the worlds were framed. In the, world, the word worlds there means more than this world. It means the universe. Were framed by the word of God. By the expression of God's word. By faith we understand. So science can't understand that. Our natural senses can't understand that, but we understand it by a different type of knowledge we'll talk about it in a few minutes. It's the knowledge that comes by faith in God's Word. By faith we understand that the universe was, was framed so that the things that are now seen, the things that our senses can detect with telescopes and microscopes, these things were not made out of things that are visible. In other words, all of existence that we know, this natural material realm, came into existence by the creation of words spoken by this God who is Almighty. And then Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 said, all these things are upheld by the word of His power. Not the power of His word, by the expression of God's power. God's power is released with words. His words spoken by our mouth will release God's power. Now let's talk about what this means for God to be almighty. What the Bible says about it. We're just going to talk about a a few things here. Because He is almighty, there is no limit to what He can do for us. I want that to sink in. 
because He is almighty. Not talking about how strong you are. Because He is almighty, there is no limit to what God can do for you. To protect us, to provide for us, or do anything that we need. Now let's talk about some of the impossible things. Things that looked impossible that God did for His people, that God did in the Old Testament, and then we'll talk about the New Testament. And there are many more we could pick on, we could choose. First of all, God caused, and that's who we've just been talking about, Abram and Sarah. God caused an old, impotent couple to conceive and bear a son when he was a hundred years old and she was ninety. This God of the impossible parted a sea so His people, over two million people, could cross it safely on dry land and then when they were safely across He caused this sea to come in and swallow up their enemy that was hotly pursuing them. And while they were now in the wilderness, this God of the impossible brought water out of a rock. When did you do that lately? He dropped food from heaven to feed them every day for 40 years. While they were wandering around in this hot, rocky, in terribly hostile environment, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out, walking over these rocks for 40 years. When they, the next generation went to enter the promised land, God caused the thick walls of the city of Jericho. The archaeologists tell us that they've done excavation, that these walls were so wide that they ran chariot races on the top of this wall around the city. And this God of the impossible told them to march around the city for six days and then on sixth day, seventh day six times and when they finished to simply shout a victory. And when they did what God said, the walls fell down flat. And there's some archaeological evidence that the walls didn't fall out, that they went straight down. That's the God that we're talking about and the God we serve. This God of the impossible, when Joshua was in the middle of a battle and needed more time, caused the sun to stand still without violating the law of gravity. This same God of the impossible called a young, caused a young virgin woman to conceive without having a relationship with a man and to become pregnant with the Son of God. This same God of the impossible caused that same son when he was 33 years old and was, to be, was crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb, caused this same young man to come alive again with a body that was now immortal that could walk through walls and could just appear in the middle of rooms. Well, let's talk about what this God was able to do when He did walk among, around, among us in flesh. Well, this God of the impossible who lived in Jesus' body turned water into wine to save a wedding party. He fed 5,000 men plus the women and children, so maybe 20,000. At one point, 4,000 men plus the women and children, so maybe another 15 or 18,000 with just a few loaves of bread and several fish. 
This same man, God in the flesh, caused a fish to bring the tax money to Peter when he wondered where they were going to get the money to pay the taxes. This same God, living in the body of a man, walked on water in the middle of a storm and then spoke one word, come, and caused one of his disciples to also walk on water. This same God of the impossible, living in the body of that man Jesus, on several occasions spoke to storms that were panicking fishermen in the middle of that sea, and they calmed down and stopped raging. This same God of the impossible, living in the body of this man Jesus, raised several people from the dead, and in one occasion raised a man from the dead who would bury in his tomb four days. This same God of the impossible, living in the body of Jesus, healed countless innumerable people with diseases and conditions that were impossible to heal and to cure. Leprosy. A man with a withered hand. People born blind. People that were lame People that were maimed, that means parts of their limbs were missing. And he spoke to them, and they grew out. Blind eyes were not impossible to him. Deaf ears were not impossible to him. Nothing was impossible to him. And this is just a sampling of the impossible things that this God of the impossible did when he walked among us in the body of a man, Jesus Christ. So how big is your God to you in the middle of what you're going through right now? How big is your God to you in the middle of all these reports, of, of these, these evil reports? And I don't mean the people are evil, but it's a report of bad things threatening us. How big is your God? Because this God whom we serve is the God of the impossible. And He's the same today as He was 2,000 years ago in the body of Christ, as He was back in the days of Abraham and then in the days of Moses. I want to read you a quote, two quotes, from a book that I've been reading. This is a book by E.W. Kenyon. He's some marvelous things he's written. This is a book called In His Presence, and it has just been stirring me up. And I read it years ago. And, and here's one of the things that he wrote about prayer. There's a whole section of it about confidence when we pray. And that's really what I want to get at here. Because when you pray, do you really believe that God can do what you're asking Him to do? Because if we really believe He's the God of the impossible, and if we really believe that God hears us when we pray and He'll do what we say, then there's no limit to who we'd pray for and what we would pray for. And this is what Kenyon wrote about coming to God. When we come to God, you're not asking for things that are possible, but you're always praying for Him to do things that are impossible. You're asking for things that cannot be done by any human methods. And the reason that got my attention is God was showing me, He said, Son, you've hesitated to ask for things because down inside you don't believe they're possible that those things can change. 
whether it's an issue in your family or whether it's an issue of somebody that's seriously sick or I prayed for people that, that, that were dying and well, if they're dying, it's too late. Well, it's never too late. We talked about this on Wednesday night. When God can do the impossible, it's never too late. It's never too late. So when you talk to God and you decide what you're going to ask Him to do, are you limited in what you ask Him but what you think is possible to Him? Then there's another quote I want to read you that, that where God was dealing with him about the same issue. He said, One day it seemed as though God were questioning me. Oh, this really hit me. He said, God said to, to Brother Kenyon, Have I been so diminished... And have I become so small and so weak and so ineffectual that you can ignore me? I want to let that sink in. Because if we can go through our days dealing with crisis and overwhelmed by crisis, if we can go through situations overwhelmed with fear, if we can go through situations, I don't know what I'm going to do, I've got to call 14 people to find out what to do. If we can go through that and never turn to God who lives in us, then how big is he to us? That's what he was saying to Brother Kenyon. I was reminded of a scripture, we're not going to turn there, but you need to meditate on this. Romans 8, 11, where the Apostle Paul says, says, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. Think about that a second. We talked last week from the top of the jungle gym. We talked last week about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. He didn't just raise him from the dead. He didn't just bring him a man alive that had been dead. Jesus did that with people. Other people had been raised from the dead. But he brought him alive from the dead with a new kind of body a body that was now immortal that could walk through walls, a body that was not limited by time and space, an immortal, powerful body. That's what he brought him alive with. And that, that miracle took place by the Spirit of God coming into that dead body and bringing him alive. And, and I believe we all understand that. But Romans eight eleven says, that same Spirit... Not a different spirit, not a watered-down version of that spirit, not a small version of that spirit. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Think about what that spirit can do in you. And it will change how you look at the circumstances in your life. The Apostle John says it a different way. He says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Then why should we be ever afraid of the devil? Why should we ever be afraid of what he threatens to do to us? Why should we ever be afraid of anything that threatens us? When the one who's alive inside of us raised Christ from the dead, created the world with his words and holds it together with the word of his power. God lives in you if you've given your life to Christ and received Him as your Savior. He lives in you today. Now, here's the issue. We don't feel Him there. 
We may not sense Him there. And so often we've gotten excited because we sense goosebumps in church and we feel an emotion which is far more likely to be our soul than in our spirit. And then we go back out into the world and we crumble like the rest of the world crumbles. And yet the God of the impossible is alive in you. So we're not aware of Him because we don't spend time. We don't believe He's really there. And I'm going to explain to you why in a couple of minutes. So to do this, let's go look over at Abraham and the new version of this story of Abraham and what his faith is like. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 4. This is one of the most succinct and clearest explanations or descriptions of what faith is and how it works. Romans chapter 4 verse 17. As it is written... This is referring back to John to, to Genesis 17 we just read. So this is Paul's looking back by the Spirit of God to the same account. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Notice the past tense there. See, God speaks His promises to us as if it's already done. Because in God's... Well, I'm going to show you this. In God's mind, it is already done. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of Him, the New American Standard says, in the sight of Him. So God's saying, from my, from my side, I've done it. It's already done. I've established you are the father of many nations. And at this point, He doesn't have any children. And He's too old. And all the obstacles that I explained to you a few minutes ago. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. Now, here's what's crucial. What did Abraham believe about God who made this impossible promise to him? He's the God who calls things which do not exist as though they do. And he can raise the dead. He gives life to the dead and he calls things into existence that never existed. That's the ultimate example of, of doing the impossible. He, ta- he can take things that are dead, like the deadness of Sarah's womb. He can take things that are dead, like Jairus' daughter. He can take things that are dead, like, like um, Lazarus' body that was dead for four days. He can take things that are dead and make them come alive. Why? Because he can also call things to, into existence that never existed before. That's the impossible things that our God can do. <laughs> There's a story in the, in, the, in the Gospels where they're going to the other side. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And he's tired, so he curls up on a pillow and goes to sleep in the back of the boat. And they encounter this terrible storm, and it looks like they're going to sink. And these, these fishermen, sailors, at least four of them were, are panicked. So they finally go wake him up. And they say, don't you know? Don't you care about us? And, and, and Jesus, why was Jesus asleep in the middle of the storm? Because he'd said, let's go to the other side. That wasn't a hope. Well, let's set the compass for that. Let's set the heading for that. And if a storm comes up, I sure hope we make it. And if it doesn't, wake us up. He said, let us go to the other side. Why was he asleep? Why wasn't he worried? Because when you can walk on water... You don't even need the boat to begin with. Jesus was not afraid because he was not subject to the conditions that were threatening them. And he he rebuked them for being afraid because they should have had the same confidence in him and in his word that he had. All right, I don't want to get off track here. So he can raise the dead. 
So that's what Abraham had confidence in him because he knew about him that this God who made the promise can raise the dead. This God can call things into existence that never existed before. Verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. In hope against hope, he believed. So he believed God's promise when there was no rational to have hope, reason to have hope. Because there, there was hope because it was God that had spoken it. See, we look at situations that, oh, there's no hope because we don't see hope in the situation. But Abraham put his hope in the promises that God made, not in the circumstances. And then verse 19 says, "...and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body now dead." Some translations say he considered his body. What this basically means is he faced the circumstances that told him this was impossible and he was not moved by that. He was not moved by the physical evidence that said, you can't do this. Every day he got up and got dressed, he looked at his body. Every time he looked at his wife's body, it spoke to them and says, no way, Jose, this is not going to happen. You're too old because circumstances talk to us. They try to tell us what's going to happen. But Abraham was not moved by what his body told him every day and her body told him every day. Abraham was moved by the promise God made and the confidence he had that God could do what he said. And as a result, he did not become weak in faith, but considered his own body not dead nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he grew strong in faith giving glory to God. Why? Being fully persuaded or convinced that what God promised, He was able to perform. Why was he confident in that? Because he knew this God can raise the dead and he knew this God can call things into existence that never existed. But what about us? All right, that's Abraham. But what about us, you and me, in this time? Why? why, you know, I know that, Pastor, but how come I'm not walking in this in my life? Well, because you need to understand this. There are two types of knowledge and two types of truth that you and I deal with all the time. But most of the time, the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, we're only dealing in one of these realms. And it's sense knowledge. In other words, what that is, is that is knowledge and truth that comes to us through our five natural senses, through our sight, our hearing, our touch, our taste, and our and feeling, I guess is the other one. All right? And then our minds process what this means. So you get a pain in your body, you can feel it. And your mind begins to try to figure out what that means. And then you read that there's, oh, this is one of the symptoms of COVID-19. And now you begin to project in your mind what that's going to mean. And you begin to form pictures in your mind. That sense, evidence, knowledge. But the Bible talks about a different kind of knowledge. It's revelation knowledge. It's knowledge that comes from God, from His Word. And this is a very different type of knowledge. And so we're going to look at this. And and here's the problem. We've developed total trust in our senses and what it means. So you can read God's Word, but when your senses tell you something else, we've got far more confidence in our senses than we do in God's Word. Why? Because we've spent our whole life bowing to our senses and listening to our senses. And there's a place for our senses. When you go out on the street the next time and you see a car coming and your senses tell you that'll hit you, you better not step out in front of it because your senses are telling you the truth. But when it comes to things God has said that are contrary to your senses, we need to learn to put more trust in what God said 
than what our senses tell us. So let's look quickly at that. Peter, when Jesus told him to go back out, this is in in Luke chapter 6, Jesus had used his boat to teach. He told him to go back out and cast out his nets and to catch for a big catch of fish. And Peter's answer is, but master, we've been out there all night. We no, no fish there. We just came back from it. There are no fish there. And at this time of day, there should be no fish there. But nevertheless, at your word. So Peter made the decision to not be controlled by what his senses and his reason told him. I know there are no fish there. I've been there. Because Jesus said, go cast out your nets. And he acted on what Jesus said. What Jesus said overrode what his senses told him. And he had an enormous catch of fish, so much that his boat began to sink. We've developed such confidence in our own senses that it controls how we see God. That's why our God is so small to us. Paul calls this the carnal man. And that just means we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. We're going to turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 makes this very clear. And now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in words which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. But the natural man, the man who's governed by his senses, does not receive or understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So when we stand up and say, I'm not afraid of COVID-19, I'm not going to do stupid things, I'm not going to go out there and violate what their government's telling us to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm not going to be panicked and I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because I believe God's word that says no plague can come near my dwelling. The world looks at you and says, you're foolish to trust in words out of an old book when we have natural evidence that this thing could kill you. But this is the natural man, their foolishness to him. But he, so, okay, so we're going to move on. So this knowledge is received by faith, not by our senses or our natural reasoning. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says we look not at the things that are seen. That's what our natural senses tell us. But at the the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. That means they're subject to change. But the things that are not seen are eternal. You and I deal with this every day. We're dealing with evidence that's coming at us, that's telling us something. Telling us you're not going to make it. Telling us that people are dying out there. And they are. I'm not denying that that's true. We're denying that God doesn't, God's Word doesn't have trumpet. God's Word doesn't have a greater authority. Last time we talked about this, we talked about in covenant, we used the story of David and Goliath, the famous old Bible story. We talked about David, and, and David comes out to a scene of battle where on one hill you have the, the, the army of Israel lined up in battle array, and on the other hill you have Ridge, you have the army of the Philistines, and they're, they're lined up opposite each other with a valley in between. 
And the Bible says every morning and every, every evening, uh, a giant from the Philistine army comes out and, and he, he defies the army of Israel and tells them that they're going to destroy them, to send out somebody and he will destroy them and that the Philistines are going to destroy the army of Israel. And, and we talked last time, he talks in terms of, I defy the army of Israel. And for 40 days, twice a day, that's 80 times, the army of Israel and their king and their commander, Saul, who was seven feet tall, hear these words and never answer them. And by hearing these words, it becomes more and more real to them. And what that giant is telling them, he's telling them who they are and what they can do and what he's going to do to them. And I suggest to you, that's what the giant of COVID-19 is trying to tell you. It's trying to tell it who it is, who you are, and what it's going to do to you. And they listened to this 80 times without ever answering it because they saw themselves in the terms of their natural bodies. They saw themselves as the army of Israel. They saw themselves as the army that was under Saul. And Saul was their leader. Saul was their protector. Saul was their general. And that's how they saw them. And that's how the enemy wanted them to see themselves. And then this teenage boy shows up. Wasn't even old enough to serve in the army. He comes bringing a care package to his older brothers that were serving there. We talked about this story two weeks ago. And he comes out to the same scene. He comes out to, as a curiosity to look at the battle scene and sees what's going on. And while he's there, this Goliath, this giant, comes out and makes this same threat, this same declaration of who they are. But this young boy has a very different perspective. This young boy has an experience of who this God is that he's in covenant with. This young boy has, has, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This young boy is the shepherd that wrote the, 93rd, the 91st Psalm about that, that, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High with all the promises. He lived these experiences. The God he knew, he lived with and watched this God empower him to kill with his bare hands a lion and to kill with his bare hands a bear that tried to steal his father's sheep. He knows his God. He knows his God. Daniel 11.23 says, They that know their God shall do great exploits. They that know how big their God is, they that know that their God is the God who can do impossible things will do great exploits. But they that don't know their God is big and powerful. They think that think their God is like all the things of this earth, that these threats are bigger than their God. They won't do great exploits. They'll hide in fear. So this young boy comes out and he hears the same threat, this same enemy come out and say, you are just the army of Israel and I come to defy you. But he looks at this giant in totally different terms. He looks at this giant in terms of the God of the impossible that he's in covenant with and he's seeing work in his life and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Basically saying, who is this giant? I don't care how big he is that has no covenant with God. Who's he to defy the armies? It's in covenant with the God who does impossible things. The God who killed the, used my hands to kill a bear and to kill a lion. My bare hands. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who destroyed Egypt's army in that same sea. The God who brought water out of a rock. The God who fed his people for 40 years with food out of heaven. That God. Who is he 
to defy this God of mine. David knew his God was the God of the impossible. So I want to close by looking at Psalm 91 through this insight. David, this King David, saw this threat through the promises of an almighty God while the army of Israel held back in fear because they saw their enemy through their natural senses and their natural reasoning. Psalm 91. Written by this little boy, this teenage boy. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of a God who can do some things for you but you never know because COVID-19 is too big for him. No! Who shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. What you say is so important. The words out of your mouth, what you say. David answered Goliath. Goliath told him what he was going to do to him. And David answered him by telling Goliath what he was going to do with him. When you get threatened by the reports of COVID-19, speak to it. I know it's foolishness, but we saw in 1 Corinthians 2 that the things of God are foolishness to the natural man. But they're the wisdom of God. They're the power of God. Speak to it. Say, no, it's not going to come near my dwelling. God, go on. Verse 3. I will, I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous or, or dis- threatening pestilence. He, if there's any time this was ever appropriate. He shall cover you with His feathers. That's like a mother hen covering her chickens to protect it. And under His wings he, you shall take refuge. His truth, His word, shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Listen to this. Nor the pestilence that, that walks in darkness. This little microbe that we can't see is a pestilence that's in darkness to us. Nor the destruction that lays waste at noontime. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. In other words, it doesn't matter what the statistics are, what the projections are. God's Word says, regardless of what happens to them, His promise is that it shall not come near you. So don't be moved by what's happened. I'm not saying don't care about them, but don't project what happens to other people is going to happen to you because that's not what God said about you. Only with your eyes will you look on and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made. See, this is what you've got to see. God's done His part. God said it. God's established it. God said to Abraham, As for me, as far as I'm concerned, I've already done this. He told Joshua, See, behold, I put the city into your hands. God declares, because in God's mind it's already done. From God's side it's already done. Well, how come we don't see it? Because we have a side to play. We have a part to play. We have to receive it by faith and then begin to act as if it's so by words of our mouth. Only because, verse 9, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge... Even the Most High, your dwelling place. That's what we have to do. We have to make Him our dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, 
no plague shall come near your dwelling, your house, this dwelling. No plague. Now is God greater than... But here's the issue. Let's go back to verse 1 and 2. That applies to he who dwells in the secret place. Secret because it's not obvious to everybody. Of the Most High. That's the authority. El Elyon. That's the God of the authority. He who dwells under the authority of this God shall abide under the shadow, the protection of the Almighty God we've been talking about today. I will say of the Lord, that's the name Yahweh we talked about before, the Most High God. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, my protector, my provision. In Him will I trust. So this protection, this supernatural almighty protection that we love to read, it only will work in our lives if we operate under verse 1 and 2. It's a conditional. God's done it from His side. It's not, I hope God... God's saying to us, please... I'm pleading with you. Come dwell with me. Come dwell under my protection, under the protection of my word and my spirit. Begin to see me for who I am. I am almighty. I'm more than enough. That's what El Shaddai means. I am more than enough to take care of you. Begin to dwell. In order to dwell somewhere, you've got to trust in it. You've got to trust you're safe there. Our home is our dwelling place. It's where we dwell safely. God's saying, dwell in my presence. That's by in His Word. This is not a casual reading of God's Word that can do this. You have to begin to put this in your heart. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you wish. And that word ask actually means demand and it shall be done for you. Where are you abiding? What are you abiding in? These are amazing promises of protection. Amazing promises of protection. And we can read them and feel comfort. But in order for them to truly protect us, we have to be doing what it says. God's done His side. He's waiting there for you to just enter into this by dwelling. But we've got to begin to see the time with Him, time in His Word, is far more important than watching the latest statistics in the news to find out what's going on. That's sense-evidence knowledge. That's not going to help you. That's not going to protect you. That's not going to deliver you. That's not almighty. But to spend your time in what is almighty and what will bring this protection and what will be this benefit. And it requires changing your habits. It requires developing a discipline. But as you begin to do it, you begin to experience what I am, that this Word becomes alive in you. It's a strength that rises. Why? Because if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken your mortal body, make your mortal body alive. We're going to end now. I want to encourage you to meditate on these things. Take this psalm and slowly go through it and digest it. But as we prepare to close, these promises that I've been speaking to you, God is like this for everybody. God is almighty to everybody that will come. But the only way you can come to Him, according to the Bible, is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
In order to come to the Father, you have to come through me. If there's ever a time you need to make sure that you're in the Father's family, if there's ever a time you need to make sure that you're right with Almighty God, it is now. It is today. And you're not made right with Him by all the things that you do. You're made right with Him by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and putting your life into His hands to be Lord. So if you've never done that before, maybe you've done it and you've kind of walked away from Him, I want to lead you in a very short and simple prayer. And then we're going to close. Repeat this with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. And I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time or maybe you prayed it again, I want to encourage you to to call here tomorrow. You can call our number, which is 508-336-4110. Or you can go online to our website or go online to uh, catchthetruth.com. That's our our TV program, and there's information there about how we can get some material out to you. Lastly, before we turn it over to our worship team, who's done such a great job today, I want to encourage you to be part of our prayer night on Wednesday night. Prayer is vital now, as more vital as it's ever been in your life and in the life of the church for what God wants to do. There's been such a strong anointing. I've never felt such a strong anointing in prayer if I spelt these last two prayer nights. So I want to encourage you. 7.30, join us. God bless you. Thank you for being part of the program. When we're finished, go over to WPRI. We're on there with a special message that I sat down and, brought and, and recorded. So God bless you. Let's close with a little bit of worship. Thank you. I bow The veil is torn and the door swing wide See glory as I run inside the throne room Before you I bow The veil is torn and the door swing wide See glory as I run inside Oh
Sunday, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you all.